0: Brianna administers the Early Stage Grant Program for institutions of higher education that are developing recovery communities on their campuses. She provides ongoing consultation and technical assistance to schools across the country. Brianna has a program management experience working for the nonprofit organizations Human Rights Watch and Mama's Kitchen and received her BA in Psychology from the University of California, Los Angeles. And so before I turn things over to Brie for the webinar presentation today, I just want to remind you if you do happen to have a microphone on your computer that you're using today, please mute that during um, the presentation to avoid any background noises. And then feel free to use the chat pod on the bottom right-hand corner of your screen to ask any questions of Brie. We're going to hold the questions to the end, but feel free to type them in at any time that you have a question or a comment during the presentation, and we'll address those after the presentation. And so now I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to Brie.
1: Great, thank you, Megan, and hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. As Megan said, I am the Collegiate Recovery Grant Manager here at Transforming Youth Recovery which means that I work with universities around the country who are working to develop collegiate recovery programs on their campuses. Now, specifically, I work uh, with schools mostly in the western half of the country, including Nebraska. And as you all may know, um, two Nebraska schools are grantees of ours, UNO and UNL. They both received our grants, I believe, at the, uh, the end of 2014. So today I really just want to go through a little bit about TYR, what we do, um, you know, collegiate recovery programs, how that movement was started and kind of where we're at now nationally, and then how you all can get started in forming CRPs on your campuses. So Transforming Youth Recovery was started back in 2013 as a charity arm of the nonprofit organization um, Stacey Mathewson Foundation. Stacey Mathewson is our CEO and founder. She um, has been a really great advocate for young people in recovery. Her son actually suffered from addiction to painkillers and um, he was in active long-term recovery for many years uh, into young adulthood and one thing I know that he expressed to Stacy quite often was a lack of support in the recovery community and in general for young people in recovery. So as you can imagine if you're familiar with more traditional recovery supports like the 12-step community, um, these can be geared oftentimes to a little bit older population. And so younger people, especially students, may feel a bit uncomfortable or not welcome in these spaces where uh, they feel as though maybe the people there don't relate to their unique struggles of being a young person who is in recovery. So Stacy formed TYR. Um, We are dedicated to helping young people all throughout life, so we've got initiatives for K through 12, Um, we're starting on doing some research for community colleges specifically, and the initiative that I'm a part of is directed specifically at four-year institutions of higher education. So the first thing that Stacey did when she started TYR was to pledge 100 grants of $10,000 each. To universities across the country, and we are slated to reach that goal by the end of this year, which is exciting. So, a little bit of history about collegiate recovery programs. Before we came onto the scene at the beginning of 2013, there were about 40 collegiate recovery programs in existence around the country. Now, this was a pretty slow growth from when this first started back in the 80s, the the forgers in the recovery movement that are often looked to today are Augsburg, Rutgers, Texas Tech University and so Stacy really wanted to help speed up the growth of this process throughout the nation. So since we started back in 2013, Um, Looking all the way to today, two years later, the amount of efforts and programs around the country have more than tripled from, excuse me, from 40 to over 140. One thing to note when you're looking at this graph is that the purple line is representative of all of those what we call collegiate recovery efforts. So these are oftentimes schools who had nothing to speak of within the last couple of years, they just had a staff person or a few staff people, may, maybe some students who got together, who were interested in starting, and um, I would say this purple line is reflective primarily of the grant- grantees that we're working with. So a lot of exciting growth over the last few years. Now as you can see, and I apologize that the text is difficult to read, but this is the most recent um, map that we have representative of all the programs around the country. You'll notice that there are a lot more in the eastern half of the country. Uh, that's kind of where things started to grow more quickly and now it's really starting to finally reach the western half. Um, there's also a few states to look to, I think, were good examples of forming some strong state coalitions, as I imagine you all are interested in doing. So Texas is a good example of that. They have actually um, a statewide system expansion through the University of Texas school system that has allowed for the growth of CRPs on all of their campuses. Um, I know that Missouri is another good example of statewide um, uh, networking with respect to CRP growth. Um, as well as Minnesota has got some clusters up there. So really our goal in finishing out this year and even moving forward, we want to see these dots, of course, all over the country. We really want to get programs started in states that don't have any right now, and we want to help expand the efforts of states like Nebraska, who may have a couple programs that are starting, but not a whole lot going on beyond that, that that we're aware of. So, what is a collegiate recovery program? Well, most effective CRPs are multifaceted, they're comprehensive, they really match the specific campus environment that they're housed within. So, one thing we talk a lot about here at TYR is the importance of meeting the needs and the interests of your students. Now, we work with schools that have over 50,000 students and we also work with schools that have over or just a little over a thousand. So starting an effort with Collegiate Recovery is really possible no matter the population size um, of your university. There are gonna be students in recovery on campus who are looking for this type of support and there are different ways that you can help support them depending on what it is they're looking for. So you'll see, you know, CRPs are instrumental in in giving them that supportive environment within the campus culture, um, allowing them to get through their education when they're practicing their recovery, which can be a really trying process. Um, And most importantly, I think, is allowing them to have that genuine college experience. As you can imagine, some students that are in recovery currently on college campuses may feel a little bit isolated. We want to make sure that they can feel like they're fully participating and and thriving in their college experience. So CRPs are also fun. Um, I think some people who see them from the outside or they don't know a whole lot about them think that it's uh, somewhat of a clinical thing. Quite frankly, that's usually only a small piece of any given program. So CRPs, as I mentioned before, are about providing those supportive affirming environments for students and giving them a place to feel comfortable and be themselves and have fun together. So what does a student in recovery look like? Well, as I'm sure you all know, a lot of college students in America are engaging in alcohol and drug use, um, and students in recovery are usually facing a unique set of challenges. So they're trying to maintain their sobriety, they're you know, doing whatever they can to avoid triggers or behaviors that might lead them to use again. Um, And, as I alluded to earlier, balancing those demands of recovery with their academics which in and of itself is already um, a very big challenge and then making new friends and finding a sense of belonging. Now, CRPs can really benefit a diverse cross-section of students across your campus. So, you know, there are going to be students who are already well established in their recovery. Maybe they have five, ten plus years under their belt. Um, We see that, of course, with non-traditional students coming back to school who may have been in recovery for quite some time. Then there are going to be students who are brand new to their sobriety or maybe still struggling with their use and they're looking to make some positive changes um, and they need a supportive environment to help them do that. I think the last important piece to consider are those students who um, may or may not realize that they have some challenges with addiction um, or problem use but this is planting a seed for them. recovery is still not something that gets talked about a whole lot in a lot of parts of the country so having an example for these students and allowing them to see that this you know higher vision of themselves is possible and recovery is a possibility for them now why is a collegiate recovery program necessary well uh, somewhat As I've already talked about, uh, being on a college campus surrounded by the students in this traditional college age group here that are, have the most prevalent amount of depend- alcohol dependence can be a big challenge for students in recovery. So the term that we use here is um, that college campuses tend to be sobriety or recovery hostile. And unfortunately, even with campuses who have um, pretty comprehensive um, continuum of care for addiction on their campuses, recovery tends to be a little bit less represented as a part of that. So, these students um, A lot of times maybe coming back to school, you know, maybe they had developed some um, problems while in university and had to leave to go to treatment, or maybe they had found recovery already before college and they're looking to to go to school, Um, but if they feel that they're not going to have a place that nurtures and fosters their recovery, they may be hesitant to uh, make that step. So, we feel that students shouldn't have to make that choice between supported recovery and their education. Um, now, for students who are in recovery that do decide to go to school or to go to university, oftentimes they may feel isolated. Um, they might think that, or at least it, it seems that all of their peers are drinking or using drugs and they are alone. So we want to make sure that they have a place to feel supported and included, where there are like-minded students to um, share their experiences with. And finally, education is a really important recovery resource that can help these students build their recovery capital. So recovery capital, we refer to as the resources that are necessary to begin and maintain recovery. Like the addiction construct, the recovery construct is also made up of two reciprocal factors. So there's remission and there's recovery capital. And the longer remission is achieved, more recovery capital accrues. Conversely, as more recovery capital accrues, the chances of continued remission increase. So, by giving students the opportunity to pursue more education, you're going to be increasing the amount of recovery capital that they have through college and for a lifetime. Now, How do these programs benefit your campus? Well, they've been proven to be effective Um, in a study done last year comparing the overall student population to student participants in collegiate recovery programs. Those students in the CRPs actually had higher GPAs and higher graduation rates than their peers. CRPs have also been shown to decrease rates of return to use. Um, They help normalize a sober lifestyle on campus, can decrease lost tuition um, for students that can be lost to um, either having to leave from substance use disorders or other challenges related to that. And, of course, having students in these CRPs that are in recovery allows them to thrive. So how can you get involved in starting a program? Well, generally, with the exception of a few uh, statewide systems who have given some financial support, almost all programs and efforts that got started around the country have had very small beginnings. So, this usually looks like a staff person or a handful of staff people um, sometimes there are students already identified in recovery who are looking to get involved. Sometimes not, and um, really just growing it organically from there. As I mentioned before, using your students is the most integral part of this experience. Listening to their needs and what their experiences have been on campus, and what kind of support they're looking for is really going to help guide the program in the right direction. One activity that we here have our um, grantees partake in is called the statement of intentions. This is really just about getting the students who have been identified together and having them thoughtfully um, come up with some goals for themselves, you know, talking about what the Campus culture is like now. Um, what they would like it to look like, and what the importance of is for for their recovery and for their education that they do this. I think if you talk to the staff people at Omaha or Lincoln, who are doing this right now, they will tell you that having patience is key, um, especially when you're just getting started. Of course. Like with any effort, you're bound to come up against some, um, you know, red tape at the university. Um, Sometimes getting students to consistently engage can be a challenge at first. However, I think every program that we've worked with has said that if you stay patient, um, build it and the students will come, is what we like to say. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about community asset mapping. So, at the end, toward the end of the presentation, I'll show you a specific website that you can go to um, that maps out all of the programs around the country. And uh, all of these programs have outlined all of the assets on their campuses and in their communities that have been helpful in moving this effort. Forward. So, with any school that is just getting started, we recommend um, using this technique, and it's really all about cultivating relationships with people in your community. So, talking to anyone and everyone you can on campus or around campus um, about the effort that you're trying to move forward, and you'd be surprised the places that you find recovery champions. Um, Now, I apologize that this list is a bit difficult to read here. Um, Every year we do an annual survey of all of our grantees and we ask them to rank the assets that have been most critical for them on their campuses in getting their programs going. So, I think this is important. I'll try and give you a a snapshot here of what this says. Uh, The assets that I think you all can start looking for on your campus, of course, are students in recovery who are interested in growing the community, uh, individuals who are dedicated staff, So, um, if not yourselves, then finding, you know, some support, whether it be in, you know, the counseling center or um, AOD office, if you have a student health center, uh, or even sometimes a social work program, these are all places that uh, we've had staff people come forward and offer some time to help get this going. Uh, mutual aid support groups nearby to campus for students in recovery, those I think can be really helpful for um, attracting students right away if you can get involved in having an AA or an NA meeting or smart meeting on your campus, um, having something that the students can meet at weekly at the same place at the same time is a good way to help get some traction. Um, having a physical space for students to get together. Uh, This is something that I think is always evolving. So oftentimes in the beginning, you'll find that it's difficult to secure a a dedicated space for the students. However, if you can find a way to at least reserve a room once a week, um, or find a, a good meeting place for the students on campus, then that's all you have to do. Over time, you know, you can start having those conversations about finding a a permanent place to house the program and things of that nature. And I think another good one to um, bring up again is locating those organizations and departments on campus that can be supportive of the program. So, making sure not only that they know you're trying to do this, but asking them for referrals if they ever come across students who are in recovery. Now, here is uh, another graphic from the most recent survey that we had our grantees take. And this is just a breakdown of the four stages of growth for recovery communities that we have identified. So, you'll see that we have the notion stage with the highest percentage of folks. Um, In this stage, it's really just about cultivating that small group of students to help build the recovery community. Moving forward into the establishment phase, that's what looks like more of um, building those new relationships and forming some more supportive networks around campus. Once you've formalized the recovery program, um, that's when most universities will identify their programs as in the maturity phase. And typically when the program is institutionalized or there's some sort of funding um, that gets put toward the staffing or the space, that's when uh, these programs will identify as sustainable. So, for those of you who are just getting started or who haven't had the chance to um, get started yet, uh, I think the practices that most programs are using in the Notion stage will be most beneficial for you to be aware of. Um, Out of all of the different practices that our campuses take part in, this is a list of the most commonly utilized practices of those in the Notion stage. So, you know, we see a lot of our programs that are just getting started putting on events to raise awareness, engaging in outreach, um, you know, and marketing, hosting those mutual aid support group meetings. And I think the last one, too, is something to consider, and that is having no membership requirements. If you're familiar with some of the more established collegiate recovery programs, a lot of them have very strict um, guidelines pertaining to participation of students. So whether that means they have to have a certain amount of time that they've been sober, um, they have to have a certain GPA or whatever it may be, um, there are guidelines. Now, when you're just getting started, I think what most schools have found helpful is being open to any and all students who want to get engaged. Um, And what we're seeing now is a trend towards inclusive, um, including rather, students who aren't just in recovery from um, alcohol and other drug addiction, but who may also uh, be in recovery from mental health disorders or process disorders. or even sometimes students who choose to live a sober lifestyle but they might not be in recovery per se so being open to those possibilities and allowing any and all students who want to get involved to be involved now When we ask our uh, survey participants how they would identify their programs, we see a breakdown between either peer-based, counseling-based, or socially focused. And what I want you to note here is that over 76%, I guess it would be, of our programs are identifying as peer-based, whether that be with a counseling emphasis or a social emphasis. So I think sometimes um, when staff people are applying for the grant, they may have concerns about their capacity to uh, grow the movement forward, whether it be time constraints or lack of resources. But I think this is um, a hopeful statistic because it really shows that these programs are rooted in a, a peer support model. So of course, having a staff advocate is super helpful in navigating through administration and university systems but it's all possible because of these students who are um, helping other students along the way Now, this is the map that I mentioned earlier So I would definitely recommend that um, after this webinar, since you're going to have access to the slides, checking out this website. We call it the Capacity Map, and this is where you can find examples of all of the different programs that exist right now. Um, All of our grantees, in particular, are responsible for mapping out all of the assets that they use, all of the practices that they offer to their students, So I think this can be a really good place to start as a reference in terms of getting ideas of who you can be connecting with and um, what sort of practices you can
0: be employing to get started.
1: Now, one thing that I know um, I had heard from my current grantees, who are a part of this network, is that a lot of Nebraska universities tend to be a bit smaller, Um, so whether these are community colleges or just private universities or public universities with a small student population, um, I've heard a concerned voice that it might not be as easy to get a program up and going. So once again, I want to reiterate that starting this program is really feasible on a campus of any size, um, by virtue of the fact that it's student student student-run and student-led. So if you look to um, Northern State University, they're one of the schools that applied for a grant. They, I believe, have around 30. 3,000 students, I think, um, and they've got a program over there called the Aware Wolves with a good amount of student participation. If you look to um, Washington and Lee University, that is another grantee of ours over in Virginia, and they have just over 2,000 students, but they've got a a thriving program up and going just in the last few years um, on their campus and then Augsburg College I think is a great example to anyone because these are one of the this is one of the original schools that started a collegiate re- recovery program and they also have a very small student population about 3000 Um, and they are of course much further along than the majority of our uh, grantees that we're working with because they've been doing this for so long Um, but I think they're a good example that regardless of student population or size that this is completely possible now overcoming other challenges so let's say you have um, students who are um, maybe lacking in Confidence in advocating, something that we encourage all of our programs to do is um, encourage them to share their stories, talk about their story of recovery rather than their story of addiction. So, in using the students as a part of the asset mapping activity, having them go out and meet with department heads on campus and share their stories of recovery is something that can be really useful in garnering support and galvanizing the community. Um, Now, another challenge I know that some schools face is a heavy level of stigma when it comes to addiction recovery. And I think that there are a multitude of ways you can go about breaking this down but in the beginning, uh, finding your allies is key, you know, locating those recovery champions who are gonna gonna advocate with you and for you on campus and building those coalitions and also educating the campus population so whether that be putting on, you know, um, uh, an event or a screening or um, like a 5K, I know that's something that's a few of our programs have put on for their schools, things that are going to get the conversation started about what it means to be in recovery versus in active addiction. And most importantly, um, I think it is essential to always ask for help. A few years ago, there weren't a whole lot of resources available for people who wanted to get programs started, and now there is so much out there. This is really a connected, supportive community of folks all around the country who, um, regardless of the stage they're in, are excited to see other schools who are jumping on board and who are trying to do this for themselves now what you're looking at here is actually part of our um, capacity website that i showed you earlier and this is a feature that we have called the conversation forum i really encourage you to check this out as well this is a place where um, any staff person or student involved in the collegiate recovery program can come and discuss uh, pretty much anything you can think of related to starting a program. Uh, So this is something that we started back in January and we've already seen a lot of growth here. We've got SAP people connecting from all over the country talking about challenges they're coming up against and giving examples of what they've done to be effective. right, so The last piece I want to mention here is bringing it back to our early stage collegiate recovery grants. As I mentioned, uh, Stacey Mathewson pledged to give 100 $10,000 grants and right now I believe we have about 15 left to give. Um, We are accepting applications through July 1st So, if this is something you're interested in, I definitely would encourage you to apply. Simply go to the website that I listed at the bottom of the screen here. And you'll see the grant application process is pretty simple. Um, I believe there are only a total of 12 questions, if that. Um, And if you are coming up against any challenges or questions, I welcome any any feedback or questions from you all along the way so um, I will be providing my contact information and I don't want anyone to hesitate to give me a call or shoot me an email if this is something that you think you're interested in doing now other resources to consider Um, there are a few sites here that I've listed that we consider our allies in this collegiate recovery movement. Many Faces One Voice, I would encourage you to check out. Um, this Through this campaign, they released a documentary called The Anonymous People. And This is something that I think can be a really powerful film to show at any campus struggling with stigma. It addresses um, recovery messaging and uh, can really be helpful in starting those conversations. So, certainly check that out if you have the chance. Young People in Recovery, if you haven't heard of it, is an organization that also recently started. Um, they are building chapters around the country not related to any specific universities but just to be supportive of young people in general so building um, recovery communities
0: around the country
1: recovery campus is a magazine that gets put out every quarter and they have an online newsletter as well if you go to their website and they do a great job of highlighting collegiate recovery programs around the country that are um, you know, starting to become more established and can be a great resource if you want to reach out to other uh, staff people around the country. And lastly the ARHE Board, so Association of Recovery and Higher Education They, um, I think, are in the midst of redoing their website, but I would would suggest you check it out anyway. I think they're going to be a great resource moving forward for any schools who have become programs and they want to get connected into that larger network. So I want to say thank you. Um, I hope that you found this to be informative. And I welcome any questions that you all have pertaining to starting a program, um, TYR, the grant process, came up during the conversation.
0: Brie, I see that uh, one of our members, Jerry Cotter, has asked how the statewide coordination in Texas works.
1: Good question. So, um, to my understanding, the University of Texas at Austin was the first university to start a collegiate recovery program. Actually, um, my executive director, Ivana Grachovic, was one of the key players in getting that built, and the other universities that are a part of the University of Texas system took notice. Um, I think that they were doing a lot of advocacy and and the higher level administrators decided that it's something that was working well and decided to give some funding to all of the other UT schools to help get programs started on their campuses. Um, there actually is the current, current program coordinator over at UT Austin is uh, responsible for managing the system-wide expansion. And if you're ever interested in finding out more about that, um, I can actually, I believe I can type in her name here into the chat box. Her name is Sierra, and she is a great resource for anyone who is interested in um, really building a a statewide or system-wide effort. Okay, I see another question here. So is recovery always synonymous with abstinence, or could recovery look different for different people? And how do you reconcile drinkers with non-drinkers in that case? That is a great question. Um, I think what we've seen is that historically, recovery used to be defined as more inclusive of sobriety. And what we're finding now, although that is still the case the majority of the time, um, there are, of course, individuals who identify as being in recovery who are not completely abstinent. So that's something to be conscious of when you're starting a program on your campus. Um, I definitely think it's important to be inclusive of anyone who wants to be involved and whatever recovery means to them. Something we say at TYR is that there are many pathways to recovery. So every individual's recovery is going to look a little bit different and I think when you're program becomes a little bit um, bigger and more established and there are various ways to navigate um, the, the services provided for students who are abstinent versus um, not so whether that means having a uh, like separate AA or 12-step meetings or um, I know some schools have like levels of membership depending on involvement It really depends, and I think that's what's exciting about being at the forefront of this movement is that you can really shape it depending on what what best fits your university. So another question came in here. What are some specific examples of how CRPs offer support or affirmation for students what types of programming are common? (laughs) And don't worry about the typos. Um, So, I think the most common in getting started would be providing those mutual aid support groups. Um, So, whether you already have, you know, a 12-step or AA meeting on campus or if you can go and network with those in the local community to bring one to campus, that's a, a great starting point. We do have some universities that offer like smart group meetings or alternatives to 12-step. And then there are some schools who have a very social approach to it. You know, whether or not they offer mutual aid support groups, they'll just have some like fun weekly social activities, so maybe that's like a movie night that they have on Friday nights or once a week they'll just get together for lunch or coffee and talk about their week. I hope that kind of answers your question. So yes, the social aspect I think is super important because Um, There are going to be students, of course, who are looking for that clinical support and a lot of times um, universities have some sort of um, support systems in place for them that can be integrated into the CRP or kept as somewhat of a separate entity depending on the structure of the university. Um, So I think for the CRP's sake, having that social component is essential. You know, these students are looking for a place that they can just relax and um, feel safe and uh, relate with students who have gone through some of the same things. And of course, being in college, having some fun activities to participate in is a key piece of that. you're welcome. I'm I'm so glad that you guys are getting some out of this. Is there any anything else coming up for anyone on the call today?
0: All right. Well, I want to thank Brianna for her time today in discussing not only what Transforming Youth Recovery is doing, but also talking about college um, recovery programs in general. I think it was very informational for us and probably a new way to look at things for um, what we do in terms of alcohol prevention on campus. Um, And I think it's exciting. that it's a growing topic uh, nationally as well. So if there are any other questions that come up, um, Bree has provided her contact information, so I think she's willing to accept phone calls or emails if you're looking for additional information. And as she mentioned, I will also be sending out a um, copy of her presentation to the listserv and also posting um, the webinar online probably early next week. So if you ever want to go back and um, touch base again on something else, it'll be there for your reference. Is there anything else you want to add before we close, Bree?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone again who uh, participated and thank you, Megan, for putting this together. Um, Please do reach out, you know, if you have any questions about uh, the grant application process, whether or not you are a four-year university or a community college. I say that because um, our next Grant initiative is going to be pertaining to community college systems. That's something that we're actually starting to study right now, and I believe we're going to be moving forward with next year. Reach out and stay in touch.
0: Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks so much to everyone for participating, and I hope you all have a great weekend. Thank you.